Welcome to the Hidden Palace with Skyblaze. Good morning, afternoon, evening or night, wherever you are in the world. No, I'm not Skyblaze, but this is still the Hidden Palace here on Radio Sega. Yes, it's me, Grey4, back once more. Uh, Skyblaze, unfortunately, is suffering with a bit of a migraine issue, um, so they won't be joining us on this episode. Uh, obviously, well wishes to you, and hope you are well enough for the next one. So, I hope we're all doing well. Uh, as was suggested by a few of you, uh, we'll be looking into the Sega System 32. Uh, this was the last in the Sega System line of arcade boards, and this was debuted back in 1990. Uh, this line of boards would have been uh, would be succeeded by the Sega Model One, then in 1992. Uh, designed for handling sprite-based games, its ability to scale and rotate sprites in real time uh, resulted in offering graphics which looked pseudo 3D. Um, along with the System 32. You then also had the System Multi 32, uh, which was used primarily for twin arcade cabinets, which allowed you to play not just one player, not just two player, but up to four players on either one or two separate screens. One interesting note the System 32 is noted as being the uh, Sega system board with the least arcade ports to home consoles, uh, as the games were considered either too good for the Mega Drive or not good enough for the Sega Saturn. So it was like, you just, just, just put it on one or other, just, or both. Just put them on both. It's easier. But, that aside, speaking of games, let's have a look at some. Starting with Spider-Man The Video Game. A four-player game released in 1991. You get to play as the titular webhead, as well as Black Cat, and then a couple of characters that didn't quite seem to fit in terms of a Spider-Man themed game. You get Hawkeye and Namor the Submariner. So uh, anybody who happens to know that their Marvel kind of doesn't quite seem to fit a Spider-Man game when you start throwing those in. Uh, so across the four chapters of the game itself, you'll fight across a large range of Spidey's foes including Scorpion, Venom, Green Goblin, the Lizard, and many, many more. As you progress through the game, it does take advantage of the sprite scaling, uh, as some fights require you to face off against enemies way more in size than yourself. So you'll have points where the screen will just sort of scale out in size while you shriek while you're facing off against, say, a giant formed venom monster that's now appeared. Um, the story, admittedly, is a little on the lacking side. Uh, basic premise, a magical stone has been stolen by a scorpion at the start of the game, and obviously as Spidey and the hero, it's your job to try and get it back. On your mission, other foes will block your path, and eventually you wind up in Latveria, and face off against Doctor Doom. I'm sorry, I thought this was a Spider-Man game, not a Fantastic Four game. Okay. Um, one interesting note. According to sources that I found, the, some of the music for this game was actually recycled from Quartet. So you might have heard of obviously a lot of the tracks on Radio Sega plenty times before, and we'll likely hear it again as we will move into the soundtracks, into the tracks themselves. Uh, before we do, obviously, hello to everyone. Uh, hi, Darren. Hi, Brickgull. 
Uh, <laughs> hi, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, Nicholas. And uh, obviously, hello, Skyblaze, if you're listening. So, up first, we have Spider-Man The Video Game, chapters 1 and 2. And then following that, we have Spider-Man vs. The Kingpin. Uh, this will be track-free from the Sega CD version. So, enjoy, and I'll catch you after the break.
and we are back. So yes, that was Spider-Man the Video Game, chapters 1 and 2, commonly uh, similar tracks to what you would get from Quartet, because they were more or less transposed, and Spider-Man vs. the Kingpin, track 3 from the Sega CD version. So, moving on from Spider-Man, next up we have a fighting game. We have Dark Edge. A 1v1 sprite-based fighting game uh, with a series of actually quite interesting features. Uh, yet again, as always, taking up the advantage of the System 32's ability to scale and rotate sprites, it allows you to move around in a seemingly 3D playfield. So you'll have instances where you're facing off obviously left and right side of the screen, but then your character can move sort of to the foreground or the front ground, as though you would do a more modern fighting games where you take advantage of the full ring area itself. It was also, as far as I can tell, one of the first arcade games to actually provide actually generated mirror reflections. So, for example, in one of the stages, it's in a shallow water-filled area, to which point you can then see the reflections of not just the characters themselves, but of the background, uh, making it look, look basically as realistic as you can do with sprites at that time period. In the game itself, you get to play as one of six fighters as they fight take down the ultra-large computer. Super inventive name. Uh, which apparently has taken control of humanity in the 25th century. Your fighters include Goliath, uh, a brute in a construction mech suit that kind of gives him the posture of look, look as though he's a, a gorilla. You have Mech, spelt M-E-K, which stands for the Mechanical Enforced Commando. It's a soldier who's in basically powered up by a suit of armor. Blood, some form of bioengineered monster who looks like the Predator, although one of the skin colors you get for it is pink. So it's a pink Predator. That sounds kind of wrong. Uh, you then have Jaeger, who is described to be some form of cyborg. Thud, a sunglasses-wearing samurai. And finally, Genie, a female martial artist. As you progress through the game, you'll find yourself against all the other opponents that you haven't picked, and uh, obviously findingly ending with a mirror match against yourself. Once you've done that, you're then thrown into the bonus stage before the final fights. Now this is where I'm kind of confused, because obviously used to a fighting game, all well and good. Bonus stage comes along, and it's a mashup between Space Harrier and the Sonic 2 special stage. Nothing against it, I just thought I, I was playing a fighting game and now I'm playing something very different. Put you on your toes, I suppose, but each of their own. Once you finally manage to reach the end of that level, you'll be outside the headquarters that houses the ultra-large computer. Your final opponent before you face off against them is the robot assassin that's been sent to kill you by the ultra-large computer. Once you've done so, you're then fighting the big PC itself. Fighting against it while it shoots bullets, missiles, and tries to attack you with giant robot claws. Fun. Victory against it in the end will then award you with a little ending for each character that you've been playing as. So, following on from this, we're going to have a look into a couple of the songs. Having a quick look in the chat, we've got Electric Boogaloo posting some links to some video YouTube videos for said games I've mentioned so far. So if you are in the Discord chat, maybe worth having a look at those. But next up, we will have Dark Edge, the city stage, 
and then followed by that we'll have a hard dunk final round as requested by Electric Boogaloo. So we'll have a look at these, see how we enjoy them, and I'll catch you after the break. See you soon. Sega music, live shows, and the chance to request your favorites. This is RadioSega.net.
and we are back. So yes, that was Dark Edge City Stage, followed by Hard Dunk Final Round, which was requested by Electric Boogaloo. So before we move on to the next uh, next segment, let's have a quick look back over on the, the chat and see how things are going on there. So there was a bit of a discussion on the uh, the Oki Rap, uh, which appears in the Spider-Man video game, um, which, as noted, is a bit of a, an odd choice of track because the uh, fact that the System 32 doesn't use Oki chips. Uh, so actually, I'm going to be a bit of a philistine here, as I do not know necessarily what those are. Not a chance to look those that up. Um, but it does seem kind of weird that they would put that track in if it doesn't use the chips necessary for it. Um, later on, we've had uh, the uh, amusing story of uh, Doan's cat Hugo, uh, apparently helping uh, answer some queries during their Twitch stream uh, by getting on the keyboard and pressing about on all the keys. It seems. And uh, last but not least, obviously we've got Pretty Ghoul here, unfortunately having to leave us. Uh, they're really tired and obviously have to get up for work tomorrow, so no fear, Pretty Ghoul. Uh, obviously you rest up and sadly get back to work tomorrow. Uh, have fun all the same. So, moving on to our next game, we have Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. Not just Sonic the Hedgehog. Released in 1991, this was actually... For the longest time, the only game in which uh, Ray the Flying Squirrel was a playable character. That was until Sonic Mania Plus was released, then you got that. This game has you playing as Sonic, Ray, and Mighty the Armadillo, as they're kidnapped by Eggman, and after breaking themselves out, have to work together to escape from Eggman Island. The game itself is played in an isometric view, as you move around using a trackball controller, why I have no idea, because it just means that it makes emulating it so much harder. And you only get one other button, which will cause you to do a spin jump. Main goal is simply to reach the end of the course without dying, which, having looked at the playthrough for it, is a lot harder than it looks. Uh, hitting obstacles or getting hit by objects such as a lava flow, for instance, that's chasing you, uh, will cause you to lose health which can only be restored by collecting rings. At the end of each course, your rings are then totaled and then points are awarded, uh, with bonus points being given if you've managed to collect at least half or more of the rings on the course itself. So there's a percentage sign as you do so and it will confirm if you've got any bonus points. You'll have about seven stages to go through, a small selection of which uh, you can find online. A small scene will play between the transition between each of the different levels where Eggman is sort of panicking and tearing his moustache out and banging against the monitor, uh, plotting a demise further. As you reach the final stage, set in the Eggman Tower, and you manage to make your way all the way to the top and finally face off against Eggman, you don't actually face off against Eggman. He sets the whole tower to explode and gives you an entire 20 seconds with which to save your skin. Failure to reach the end of the level within those 20 seconds will result in an immediate game over. But succeed, and you'll get to see our heroes running away to, as they're running towards you while egg, the Eggman Tower explodes in the background. Of course, they don't look back, because only cool guys do that. They always look forward when the explosion goes off. Now, one interesting bit of trivia I found out about this game is that compared to other Sonic games released at the time, 
it was the first Sonic game which had voice acting at all. Not counting sort of emulated voice from sort of chips themselves, such as Sonic CDs. See you later! Um, and it also had on-screen dialogue. So again, you'd see the dialogue of the characters themselves as well. You didn't really have that in any of the games. So, following on from this, uh, we're going to have the Sega the Sonic the Hedgehog all over for credits. And following that, we have Air Rescue Mission 4, requested by Nicholas Hammer. So we'll listen to those two tracks, and then we'll catch you again after the break. Enjoy. Sega, playing the best Sega music, 24-7.
and we are back. So yes, that was Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, all over for credits, and followed that was Air Rescue Mission 4, requested by Nicholas Haman. Now, having a look on the chat, uh, there was a bit of discussion on uh, the middle of the title card artwork for Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, personally, it does kind of have a sort of fan art look to it, personally. Uh, so obviously Sonic looks like Sonic, and then it just kind of feels like somebody's tried to artfully put in Ray and Mighty either side of him uh, to just sort of pad it out and make it look as though, yes, it's my own work, it's my own fan characters and everything. Um, Dern did actually raise, uh, raise an interesting because obviously, as was noted, Ray only turned up in this game, and up until Sonic Mania had never appeared in another game since as an actual playable character. But Dan had remembered that there was a game that you were playing as a squirrel. Um, and Little Blue has kindly managed to provide us the answer to this. Uh, was in fact Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel for the Mega Drive or Genesis. So, maybe we're having a look at that uh, in another episode, in fact. See what we can find out about that one. So, for the final game we have, we are looking at Alien 3. The Gun, because that's an exceptionally inventive name, uh, a light gun game based on the film Alien 3. Uh, in an altered version of the Alien 3 story, your players, either one or two, depending on how many friends you have playing with you, are uh, US colonial marines as you're escaping from the Solarco spaceship to make your way to the planet Fioran Fiorina 161. Uh, so again, following as close as it can to the storyline, but making necessary adjustments. The main swathe of enemies that you're going to be coming across are going to be the aforementioned aliens, the xenomorphs in the adolescent stage, and face huggers. Uh, you'll also come across Waylon Yutani soldiers, obviously trying to kill you because they're wanting to try and retain those aliens. As you play, you'll collect the various power ups, uh, which can include a change of weapon to such as a flamethrower and health packs to restore your health. Um, you will have a power meter on the bottom of the screen, which uh, Electropaglue has one we posted a link to on the chat. Um, if you're using the base weapon itself, that will slowly restore itself once you stop firing. If you're using the flamethrower, on the other hand, that will steadily drop and won't increase. So once you've used it all, you'll then revert back to your usual weapon. At the end of each level, as you may expect with a lot of games, you'll come across a boss, such as the Super Facehugger. A facehugger that's much bigger, probably like five times the size. And the Iron Tortoise, a massive tank. Um, and at least three of the other levels you'll come across fully grown xenomorph aliens. One of the slightly confusing things, when you get to the end of the game, you'll bump into a gentleman who's wondering are the samples still here? And you'll quite happily tell them, no, we killed the wall, it's great! And they're like, I was here to collect those, damn you. And proceeds to attack you. And his name is Unidentified Man. Which is fair, he didn't tell you his name, you're not going to know it. And once you've beaten the Unidentified Man, the final scene shows you and potentially your partner uh, being confronted by Wailing Yutani soldiers. We were basically into a giant firefight, but the fate of the soldiers is left unknown. So the 
could have been a way into another game from there. It would have been a possibility, depending on how successful it was. Uh, as Electric Boogie was pointing out, the movie only had one Xenomorph. The gun has taken, yes, a lot of liberties with the story itself. Um, as far as I'm aware, from what I was reading, I thought it was they, they had three Xenomorphs. It's been quite a while since I've seen the movie. Ooh, speaking of movie, we'll go into Alien 3 Mega Drive main title part 2, and then Burning Rival Staff Roll, as requested by Electric Boogaloo, and then we'll be back and talk about this more later.
And we are back once more, and I'm going to quickly loop that before I uh, make another mistake of that one, and uh, carry on. So yes, uh, we had from Alien 3 the main title part 2, and following that we had Burning Rival, the staff role, as requested by Electro Boogaloo. Uh, so yes, before we'd, uh, or before I'd foolishly un not looped myself and concentrated to the sound uh, into the next tracks, um, we were talking about Alien 3. Uh, yes, the Unidentified man at the end of the game, uh, as was pointed out by uh, Alfred Pugler there, was in fact Bishop Wayland. So obviously, spoiler alerts, my apologies. We've, we've well passed that point now. Well past that point now. Um, but yes, speaking of Alfred Pugler, and uh, I see you've already gone ahead and popped that in there. Uh, Alfred Pugler had brought to attention uh, to Scarlet and myself a, uh, another game that came out not on the System 32, but but close enough that it's worth putting in here. Uh, that game being Cool Riders. It's a, a racing game which is the spiritual successor to Outrunners, where you're racing up against a computer-controlled rival, and whoever gets to the first to the finish line first gets to continue to the next stage. Uh, as you progress through up to five stages, on the fifth stage, however, you get to be treated to an all-out race against every rival you've faced off so far. Now, the interesting thing I was looking into while uh, that got passed on was not necessarily the game itself, but the board it was on. It was on the Sega System H1 board, which I know, obviously, I mentioned at the start that the 32 was the last Sega System board to be produced. Unfortunately, that's not 100% true, according to what I was reading. Um, however... This board's an interesting one because it's that sort of. If you ever look at the, the, the that lovely evolution picture from from like prehistoric ape to man thing, it it basically slots in there where you've got the System Thirty Two, the Multi Thirty Two, the H One, and then the Sega Saturn. Because yes, this board has similar enough architecture and uses the same architecture for the System Thirty Two, as shared with both the Multi Thirty Two and the Sega Saturn itself. So we can use processing on both sides of the coin in terms of that. Um, one of the annoying things on this, however, is the fact that it was so short-lived. It, as far as I can find out, only has two games on it. One of which is Cool Riders, and the other one, which I had seen just a second ago, and has gone. Where have you gone? There a second ago, and it's definitely gone. Bear with me, folks. There we go. So yeah, the list of games in cool include Cool Riders and Aqua Stage. Um, which sadly I've not got a lot of information on, um, just the fact that it runs on the same hardware as Cool Riders. So I might do a bit more investigating, potentially look into bringing that into another episode. Uh, but yes, thank you for bringing that to our attention, Andrew Burley. Uh, as I say, being a short-lived one, it's not really a lot to really put into its own 
uh, own episode, so it's uh, best put where it's got enough similarities being in this one. So thank you very much for that one. So, moving on to Chip Chim Corner. Uh, Scoggler's had a good look round and come across one particular uh, artist that wants to make a highlight to. This one being Rainbow Dragon Eyes, all one word. Uh, they've been making music since 2006, using just a Game Boy and a Sega Mega Drive to compose tunes which combined high-intensity EDM with heavy metal influences for a fairly unique sound. Uh, and I am just going to pop on here. There we go. And I popped into the Discord chat uh, through Skyblaze a link to their Bandcamp. So, what we're going to do now is Rainbow Dragon Eyes Fortune's Dividend. Catch this, and I shall see you after the track. Fortress doorstep as 
So yes, that was Rainbow Dragon Eyes with Fortune's Dividend. Quite a nice track on that one. I quite enjoyed that one. Uh, definitely want to look at picking some more of those tracks up if I get the chance. So uh, as noted, I've put the link in the Discord uh, through Skyblaze. So you can have a look at that and uh, enjoy the tracks from there. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, obviously Skyblaze once more sends their apologies for their absence, uh, but we will hope to be back in uh, regular setting for next Sunday. Uh, there's a... Uh, uh, an event going on for Halloween next weekend that we're going to on the Saturday, so we won't be uh, able to do the show then. As always, uh, you can always suggest topics to us for any future shows. Those can be sent to uh, Blazing Skies uh, on well, to the uh, start again to Skyblaze on their Twitter at Blazing Skies through the official Radio Sega Facebook uh, Twitter pages, or you can, if you are on Discord, just contact Skyblaze directly through that. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who has been with me through this one today. Uh, so quickly running back through the start so I know who I'm not going to be missing. So missing out on is obviously going to be Electric Boogaloo, Nicholas and Hamam, Eclipse, uh, obviously uh, Brick Gamer, obviously had to go earlier, uh, Doan, Skyblaze of course. Uh, I had, I don't know why I'm catching up Eclipse. And going back to the modern time, and there was Wolf who I saw mentioned on here. Yes, Wesley Wolf, there we go. And I think that is everyone. So yes, thank you all of those who were in the Discord chat I've mentioned. Any I haven't, my apologies, but thank you all the same. Um, I have been grateful. This has been the Hidden Palace here in Radio Sega. Uh, I hope you have all enjoyed yourselves this evening, morning, evening, or wherever you are in the world. And we will catch you again this time next week. Uh, to sign us out, there'll be one last track. It's the Arthur X Medic final boss theme from the Sonic Mania Remixed. So we'll do that, and we'll sign out, and we'll catch you all then. Bye-bye.
enjoyed the show? Check out the full Radio Sega live schedule at radiose.ga forward slash shows. Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7.